All right, well, good morning, Redemption Tempe. My name is Will Vakurvich, one of the pastors here. Thankful to uh, be able to share God's word with you this morning. Before we do that, we want to take a few moments and pray. We know, um, we know that this has been a tough week for lots of folks in our country, especially in Texas with the, the cold temperatures, the power outages, all of those things. We have good friends here in this church who have moved from Texas and people who have been here for a long time who have gone to Texas. And so this uh, is close to home for some of us. So we just want to pray uh, for, those, for those brothers and sisters in Texas before we dive in. All right, will you join me? Father, we thank you that you are good. <laughs> you are a good Father who provides uh, even when our circumstances don't feel like it. Jesus, we know that you care about those people made in your image uh, in Texas, across the country, who are enduring freezing cold temperatures, who had no power this week, who have broken pipes and flooded homes and, and the death and the, the injury and harm that has happened. You care more than we do. So we are so thankful, Lord, that you are good and you are in control. We're thankful that power is already being restored, that lives are already be, being, uh, beginning to be healed um, and Jesus, we just ask that that would continue. Would you make your love known in tangible ways across Texas and parts of our country that are, that are hurting right now? Lord, and here, here as well, Jesus, we come to you uh, ending a heavy week and facing a new week. And we need you. Lord, there are so many things that have... Uh, been done to us and so many things that we have done, it's hard for us to sort it out. And so we ask that instead of trying to sort it out, you would just call us to yourself in this time. We love you, Jesus. Help us to love you more. Help us to trust you more and help us to obey you more. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So you guys, I'll let you in a little secret for those of us on staff who preach up here, we have this, this deal called the, the preaching team meeting on Mondays, and so it's great. We, we get to share what we're thinking for our sermons, where we're going, and they get to tell us where we're wrong and, you know, keep us on the straight and narrow, and it's, it's, it's really, really helpful. And so, you know, I was talking about my sermon on Monday, uh, and, and you, you guys know Jim, right, one of our co-lead pastors. You'll know this, this uh, example came from Jim. Jim says, dude, you know it would be a great, a great intro. He said, you should have everyone imagine. If you know Jim, you know that it has to be Jim who's going to say imagine. And so what Jim says is imagine that we had some like horribly sadistic technology where I could invite you up on stage with me and we could display on the screens all of your thoughts from the last, right? Somebody's already like, oh, What? All of your thoughts from the last week would be displayed on the screens for everyone in the room to see. What's your body feel like right now? Right here, right? You feel it right here, right? We all feel it. So as if that's not bad enough, I got to confess that a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, I think it was, um, you know, there, a situation had come up at work and, and Warren had asked me something and it was, you know, just one of those you know those days, those bad days when you like respond with frustration, even though it's not actually that person's fault, right? Well, I thought I was texting somebody else my frustration, 
you know where this is going. I texted Warren my frustration. <laughs> he was like, you text the wrong person. Fool, what are you doing? And I was like, oh. Now, thankfully, Warren is very, very gracious. He was kind and forgiving, and I, and I humbly thank him for that. Uh, but we, know, we all know what that's like, right? That feeling of being exposed, those things that we all long to keep hidden, when those are brought out into the light, not of our own choosing, we've felt that. I remember as a kid in high school, when progress reports would be mailed home, I was exposed. Did you do your homework? Yeah, I did my homework. Well, progress report says otherwise. I was exposed. We've all felt that. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at this woman caught in adultery. And as you turn in your Bibles to uh, the end of John 7, beginning of John 8, you may notice a line that we have to address before, before we dive into our text. And there's this footnote in your Bibles or a little parentheses in your Bibles, and it talks about how this passage is not in the earliest manuscripts. And so what do we do with that? Well, uh, we're going we're gonna to send you guys some resources, you know, Josh's weekly email. We're going to have some resources that we'll direct you to if you're really interested in this. If you don't currently get those emails, stop by our Connect desk. They can get you signed up. A few things that I just want to note about this uh, before we dive into the text. Two main things. One, this passage is not in the earliest manuscripts, but it is in a ton of the early manuscripts, okay? So what can we surmise from that? One, God's people felt strongly enough that this should be included, that they made a concerted effort into, to include it into early manuscripts, and not like in a handful, right? In a lot of them. So we know that God's people wanted this story in here. It's consistent with who Jesus is throughout the Gospels. It's consistent with his nature. It's consistent with the nature of the religious leaders who are trying to trap him, as we'll see. And the other thing that we just can't really deny is that throughout the ages, the Spirit has allowed it to stay in our Bibles. Okay? Now, there are people who are way smarter than me that understand all the arguments and all the reasons and all those other things. We'll give you those resources if you want to learn more. That, at least for me right now, I feel pretty, pretty confident in. So we're going to jump into this scripture. This woman caught in adultery just by nature of the title. Uh, you can tell where we're going. We understand, especially during uh, these days when everyone's not comfortable you know, being back in service with us as we're live streaming, there may be some, some children in the room. My own kids are in the room, so we'll keep it as PG as possible uh, considering this topic. So let's, let's pick up with me here in chapter 8, verse 1. This is what we see. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came down again to the temple. So we get the setting the backdrop or context for our story, we see Jesus, he's come to the temple. And when we see the temple in the Gospels, we have to understand what's going on here. Don't think Redemption Tempe where you show up on a Sunday. Think the national center of politics, of religious life, of civic and social life. Everything is happening in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, everything is happening at the temple. The crowds are at the temple. The people are at the temple. Everyone is at the temple. And now we have Jesus here at the temple and the crowds are listening to his teaching. So that's the backdrop of our story, right? If the movie starts, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing crowds surrounding Jesus at the temple, the center of, of uh, Israel's life. 
all aspects of life going on in the temple. All the people came to him. He sat down and he taught him. In verse 3, we're told the scribes and the Pharisees, another way to say the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Let's pause here. We read the line. We understand there's a woman caught in adultery. I'd invite you, church, to try to see this woman. Try to feel what this woman is feeling. Think of the emotions here, right? We've all done that. You, you know, we've all had that experience where we did that thing we knew we shouldn't do. You feel it in the pit of your stomach. You know you're wrong. But if we're honest, it's not like sin is boring. There's excitement, right? <laughs> Maybe this is news, but like if sin wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. So we got to acknowledge this. So this woman is caught in the act of adultery. Can you see her? In the middle of the act, the door is kicked in. Men grab her, drag her through the streets to the temple. The center of religious, political, and social life. I wonder, was her husband there? Is that how he found out? Were her children in that crowd? Were her friends and family members? Were the neighbors there? What was she thinking in that moment? What do you think she was feeling? She's caught. She's caught in the act. She probably didn't have time even to cover herself up as she's drugged through the streets to Jesus. Caught in the act. Can you see her? Can you feel what she may be feeling at this time? Have you ever felt exposed? Scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, to him meaning Jesus, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. So here's the deal. They're right. The law says if if someone is caught in the act of adultery, then the consequence is death by stoning. That's what the law says. They're right. But there's something else going on here. We got to kind of like dig beneath the surface because as much as they're right, there's something fishy because what the law says is if someone is caught in adultery, then both parties must be present. It takes two to tango. Adultery is not a sin you can commit alone. Where's the guy? Furthermore, what the law says is that if somebody is caught in adultery, there must be two witnesses. The witnesses cannot be the spouse of either one just to make sure everything is above the board. There's no false allegations. If you're going to be a witness to bring this charge against somebody, then here's the deal. According to the law, the witness will cast the first stone. If the witness is bearing false witness or false testimony or lying about this, 
They received the death penalty. Where are the witnesses? The Pharisees are not concerned about the law. The text tells us they want to trap Jesus. They could not care less about this woman or her sin. Have you ever been abused? Has anyone ever misused you for their gain, for their benefit? Can you see this woman? Can you put yourself in her shoes? Imagine what she was feeling, drugged in front of the temple, in front of the crowds, in front of Jesus. The charges are brought against her. She's looking around, scanning the crowd. There are men with stones in their hands. And she knows she deserves it. Can you see her in this moment? So we come to Jesus. In the middle of this chaotic scene, you got the crowds, they're wondering what's going to happen. You got the leaders, they're trying to trap Jesus. You got this woman, she's fearing for her life. And now we see Jesus in the midst of the, the tension and the stress and the chaos of this moment. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Wow, to have peace like that in a moment like this, who is this Jesus who can remain this calm in the midst of this chaos as they continue to ask him? Again, church, can you see her? She's there at the feet of Jesus. These leaders are continuing to ask him, what are you going to do, Jesus? What are you going to do, Jesus? Are you going to stone her? What are you going to do? Are you going to violate the law, Jesus? Because here's the deal. The trap is not just, are you going to break the law of Moses? Moses says, you got to stone this woman. That's what the law says. She committed adultery. She was caught. She's got to be stoned. However, what the religious leaders know in their attempts to trap Jesus is Israel doesn't only live under the law of Moses. At this time, they're under Roman occupation. Rome is the empire which has invaded their land, imposed their law upon Israel. Roman law says Israel does not have the authority to execute anyone. So what will Jesus do? Violate the law of Moses or violate the law of Rome? This is a no-win situation. This is the gotcha moment, right? The religious leaders are like, yeah, boom, here you go. Jesus, mic drop. What are you going to do now? And he starts doodling in the dust. He kneels down. And he's just drawing, and we don't know what it says. Everyone speculates what he says. We don't know what Jesus wrote. We knew he was calm. We knew he wasn't swayed by the crowds. We know these leaders aren't going to trap him, not today. And we know this woman is there, waiting, hanging on every word. What will happen to her? What will happen in this moment? Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Can you see her in this moment? Terrified. I wonder, like, where, what was she doing with her body? Was she trying to cover herself from being exposed? Was she covering her head, just waiting for the moment that the first stone would be launched? Were her eyes closed to try to avoid what was surely coming? 
Were her eyes open, watching, waiting? Who would be the first to cast the stone? What was she doing? What would you feel like in that moment? And then it happens. The oldest one realizes that him who was without sin cast the first stone. And she hears the sound of the stone being dropped in the dirt, the thud. Had to be too good to be true. Had to be too good to be true. Just one. What's one? There's a whole crowd full of people. There's a whole crowd full of stones. But then here comes number two. Here comes number three and four and five and six. And at what point does she realize what has happened? Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine that moment standing before Jesus? The stones have been dropped in the dirt. You've heard the thud, thud, thud of stones being dropped, of footsteps walking away of the accusers turning around and leaving, of the rightful charge being dropped. And she's left standing face to face with Jesus. Jesus stood up to her in verse 10 and said to her, woman, where are they? I wonder how much that reoriented her mind to the situation. They're not here. They're not here anymore. Woman, where are they? Where have your accusers gone, this poor woman? Can you see her, this woman who was abused by the system, this woman who the religious leaders have manipulated to try to trap Jesus? This poor woman, I know we don't like to use the language, right? This victim, this woman who was being victimized, that's what's happening in order to trap Jesus. They don't care about her life. They don't care about Jesus's life. They care about their agenda, and she's in the way. She's a pawn, better yet, to be used for their benefit. Where are they? And it's one thing to read that there is freedom in Christ. It is another thing to experience it. Oh, to feel it in your bones. Church, have you felt that? Have you felt that moment where you know you sinned? You know those things that have been done to you weren't right, and you feel the weight of it, and Jesus offers to bear your burdens because he cares for you. That is a moment. That is a moment, and she's standing there face to face with Jesus. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. <sighs> Jesus can make that crowd disappear. That crowd that would like nothing more than to condemn you, Jesus can make that crowd disappear. No one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now, they mattered, right? They were the ones with the stones. But Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Jesus is the one who's saying, there is no condemnation for you now. Jesus is the one who's inviting her into God's family. Jesus is the one who sees her sins. He knows she's still not wearing any clothes. Clearly something happened, and he still says, neither do I condemn you. Welcome to the family. Come on in. The grace of Jesus welcomes us with open arms in this moment, in this moment where we feel like we have no hope, in this moment where it looks apparently like there is no way out, Jesus makes way. And he offers that invitation, not only for her so long ago, but for us today. Come in. Come into the family. 
You don't need to walk in the sin anymore. Come in, there is no condemnation. That thing you can't even forgive yourself for, he has already forgiven. And he invites us into that relationship. He invites us into that community of believers. He invites us into the kingdom with open arms. In church, oh, I wish it ended there. Look, if the sentence ended there, hey, we're good. If the sentence ended with neither do I condemn you, go do what you want. But I got bad news. As much as I want us to see this woman, church, we got to look at that woman. She is that woman. She was caught in adultery. No regard for the sacred covenant of marriage. No regard for her spouse. No regard for her children. No regard for the covenant of the other participant, of their spouse, of their children, of the futures of what this will look like. Look, I know this. My parents divorced when I was five. Hear me, I love my stepmom. My stepmom is my mom. You know what I'm saying? She is my mom. The reality of our lives now, two Thanksgivings, two Christmases, right? A lot of you guys are nodding because you experienced this. And as much as I was growing up, like I thought like, man, this really affects me. Here's the reality. Now when we go home, it affects my children as well. Sin disrupts things. I wish it was only no condemnation, but look at that woman. Look at what this woman has done. We have to see her and we have to look at that woman. Because I'm real comfortable saying like, ah, see her, that's me, no condemnation. The reality is, silly, but I am that woman as well. We are that woman as well. We are caught, maybe not in adultery, but we are caught in our sins. We all have that feeling. We know when we're about to do it, we shouldn't do it. And you know what we do? We dive right in. We listen to the same lies she listened to. Man, you've been doing good for so long. You deserve it. <sighs> Guys, this has been such a hard year, and we're all just trying to cope. And you know what? It, it, like, don't do a big sin. It's just the little, like, little white lies, like the little white sins. They're not that bad. That sin's not that bad, right? Man, if I could tell you what those other people are doing, what we're doing, no big deal. It's all a lie. You don't deserve it. You haven't worked hard enough to earn your way a free pass to sin. It's a lie and it's arrogant. Stop it. It is that bad. If you believe that it's not that bad, it's not true. It is that bad. The wages of sin is death. Sin disrupts. It disjoints. It vandalizes God's good gifts to us. Every single time, we believe that it won't happen. We believe that we're immune. We believe that we'll get away with it. It's a lie every single time. And I have to say this. Guarantee she didn't wake up that morning thinking like, you know what's probably gonna happen? I'm gonna commit adultery and be brought in front of the temple at the feet of Jesus, and they're gonna try to stone me. No way, because we all think we're gonna get away with it. We all think we won't get caught. We think we can just hide it and cover it up and keep it, you know, under wraps and it's not going to come. It's a lie 
And not only is that a lie, church, that is a burden that is too heavy for you to carry. You don't have to carry it. You don't have to carry trying to cover this thing up and keep it hidden and keep it in the darkness. Just bring it to the light. You don't have to carry that load. There is freedom and release in Jesus. He offers that to us. And notice the order of the words. It's not if you go and sin no more, neither do I condemn you. No, neither do I condemn you. He welcomes us. His grace welcomes us. And his love refuses to leave us unchanged. He cares about us too much. He doesn't just care about the burdens of the horrible things that have been done to you. He cares about the burdens of you trying to cover up your sin. He died for it. Why would you carry it? Bring it to him. That's what this whole thing was for. You don't have to carry it anymore. There is freedom in Christ. And when we meet Jesus like that, oh, when we come to him and we can feel that heavy backpack of the weight of the sin, the things we've done, the things that have been done to us, realizing there is no condemnation and go in sin no more, and we can release that, that is where freedom is. That is where we step into the love of Christ. We realize it's not just a concept that we read about. It's not just an abstract thing that we sing about on Sunday mornings. This is truly life-changing. This is revolutionary because I don't have to continue in my cycles of sin. Driven by guilt and shame, there is no condemnation. And I don't have to carry the weight of the sin that I've been trying to get rid of for 20, 30, 40 years. There is freedom in Christ. He invites us to come to him. Now, here's the reality. I can't stand up here and tell you, go and sin no more. I can't do it. I already told you about my sin with Warren. You already know that one. My, my wife and children, I guarantee, could tell you about many more from this last week. I don't have the power to do that. I don't have the secret technique. This is what, read this Bible verse and you'll never sin again. I don't, I don't know it. If you know it, please tell me. But you're not coming to me. <laughs> You're not coming to any of the pastors here. You're not coming to your favorite Christian author or podcast that you love to listen to. You're coming to Jesus. Jesus, who in a few chapters will find himself in a very similar situation to this woman. Jesus, who in a few chapters will also be surrounded by an angry mob. Jesus, who in a few chapters isn't stripping himself naked to commit adultery, but is being stripped naked and beaten for us. Jesus, who doesn't have the luxury of hearing the stones thud to the ground. Instead, he feels the hammer drive the nails into his wrists and feet for us. So that he alone can say, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Only in Jesus do we have this offer. Only in Jesus can we experience no condemnation. Only in Jesus do we receive the Spirit who speaks to us in those moments before we sin, who empowers us so that we can be held accountable, who gives us courage to confess to those that we're in community with, this is what I'm struggling with, I don't want to carry it anymore. It's only in Jesus that we even have the desire for this. If you are feeling today, I know that thing, I know that thing I need to get rid of, that is the Spirit speaking to you right now. This is not abstract. If you feel it right now, that is the Spirit of God speaking to you. 
How do we respond? The invitation is there. We can continue in the same patterns. You know what that feels like. You know what it's been like to live under condemnation. We know what it's felt like to carry the sin that we don't need to carry. And so we come to Jesus, the only one who can say these things, because he laid down his life for us, his sinless, perfect life. I can't even guess what that's like. My, guys, we're so, Jake talked a few weeks back about the approval of people and how I want to do a good job for you guys when I preach, but I also want you to tell me I did a good job and how messed up and warped together all that. I can't even separate what is sin and holiness in my own life. Jesus can. I can't even imagine what a sinless life would be. Jesus lived it. I struggled to die to myself. Jesus died for me. This is what the invitation is. And so as we come to the table, we have the opportunity to respond to this invitation of Jesus. We have the opportunity to remember who he is and what he did for us. And the image that has been so powerful for me this week is, I don't know about you guys, I feel tired. <laughs> and not like tired where you can take a nap and then you feel bad. I just feel tired. There has been a lot in this last year. There hasn't been anything that's been a thousand pound weight, but I'll tell you what, there's been a thousand one pound weights. And I'm weary. And I know I can't be the only one in this room. And Jesus invites us to a meal. Jesus invites us to a meal to be nourished, to be filled up, to be sustained in him to join not just with brothers and sisters in this room, but brothers and sisters since he died for us throughout the ages, around the globe, who, you know what? They felt tired too. And they kept going because Jesus gives his spirit abundantly. They remind me that we can keep going. They remind me, you guys remind me that there is no condemnation in Christ. We remind each other that we can be free from sin as I see the lives of so many people I love changed radically by Jesus. It's not abstract, it's real. It is real. And we know that it's real because we see it, we experience it, and we have hope in it because of this. Not like the plastic. Because of the body of Christ, Jesus himself which was given for us. And so at this time, church, I invite us together to come hungry, come tired and weary, and come receive nourishment. We take the, the bread, which was given for us, and we eat. We come to the cup. We see ourselves in the woman. We know others can look at us and see our sin. And we know that the freedom from that comes with this blood that was shed for us. And so I invite us together to drink. We're going to close in prayer. <clears throat>
but we're going to do it just a little bit differently. I'm going to invite the Spirit to speak. Uh, I'm going to spend a few moments in silence after I invite the Spirit to speak just to, to communicate with us what are those areas in our hearts where we still are living under condemnation. What do we need to be freed from? And what are those areas of sin that need to be repented of? Will you pray with me? Oh, Father, you're good. And you're here with us. And you're communicating. And we thank you for that, Lord. Give us ears to hear. Give us ears to hear the areas that you are offering us freedom and no condemnation. Your word says godly sorrow brings about repentance, and so give us godly sorrow for those areas that need to be repented of. Would you speak to us in these few moments? gentle with us. We thank you for how you challenge us. We thank you for how you encourage us. We thank you for how you love us. Lord, we thank you for the story of this woman. We thank you for the ways that you show us that we are so much like her. You are so good and so gracious so loving and we thank you for the ways that that welcomes us in and we thank you for the ways that that brings about change in our lives so Jesus as we continue to sing and as we pray and as we hear from you would you continue to speak would you continue to bring conviction and encouragement and grace we love you Jesus we pray this in your name amen